So we were told, uh, correction, Zach was told that a certain someone does not care that we talk about stuff other than advertising. So congrats. <laughs> All right. You, you convinced me. I have been, I will, I will leave my personal life out of the podcast and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. This was, you know, this was a good therapy moment for me to talk about life, talk about things outside of advertising. Cause you know, advertising is sure, who wants to make a life out of that other than us. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here we are. It's fine. Let's get into the ads. Um, Zach, <laughs> how are you doing, bud? I'm back in Phoenix, uh, everyone. It's hot as hell. It's 112 and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently inside in the air conditioning with the fan on and I'm sweating. So that's Arizona Same. in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait to but go I'm, back in two weeks. <laughs> Need that LA weather. But I'm good. <laughs> Once you go to LA, you never come back. That's Is that what it is? Oh, I hope not. That's not it. <laughs> I mean, LA is cool, but shit. Uh, speaking of right, like friend. stuff you can't go back on, um, I have an addiction to Chick-fil-A. Um, and I don't eat the sandwich, but apparently the sandwich... Wait, wait. What do you eat then? Oh, you want to know my order? Uh, I get two four-piece chicken strips and a large fry. Okay, fair. Yeah. Chicken strips are good too. Yeah. Sad you don't eat the sandwich, but I just you know pickles, man, and then like also the bread. <laughs> I, I get the chicken biscuit for yeah. the morning sometimes, which I guess is the same thing. Okay, but what's going on with the chicken sandwich, Zach? It's all controversial now. What's that about? <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> starting in like the last couple of days, there's been a chicken sandwich war mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, that's that's now involving quite a few players. Uh, it all started when too many cooks in the Popeyes kitchen. announced. Yeah, too many cooks in the kitchen. It all, it all started when Popeyes announced their new chicken sandwich, uh, which happened. I don't. I'm sure it happened on social too, but it's they've been a big push. They said it was like their biggest new product in the last like 30 years. Yeah, that's crazy. So they're really hyping up this chicken sandwich. I actually went and got one today. Tried it. It was Wait, pretty we have good. Popeyes in Arizona. Um, Yes, yes, we do. There's one right down the street from me because I worked from home today and I went and got it for oh, lunch. Shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> so after they announced that this was their biggest product drop in 30 years, uh, the king of chicken sandwiches, Chick fil A, decided that they were going to tweet um, bun plus chicken plus pickles equals all the love for the original, emphasis on for the original, subtly saying like, that's cool and sweet that you guys are trying out this whole chicken sandwich thing, but we've been doing this for a long, long time and ours is the best. Um, sure. To which Popeye's immediately got involved. Um, and Popeye's hasn't re- hasn't been known for like a super sassy social media presence like yeah. Wendy's has, which we're going to get to. Um, but apparently this was their, uh, this was their entrance into dissing other fast food joints on social media because they went hard. Um, so Popeye's quote tweeted that and said, dot, 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 <laughs> y'all good question mark to the, the Chick-fil-A, uh, tweet. Uh, and that just opened the floodgates from there of all people to get involved, uh, Boston market that, yeah, no one even knows Boston market still existed. Boston yeah, market didn't. got involved, uh, <laughs> tweeted, the freeway, but... uh, customer, can I, <laughs> you do see it off the freeway? I mean, like. All right, you know, like Frank Lloyd Wright in the 101. Like, there's one there, but it always looks close. There's still one over there. 
It always looks close. That's some streets in Arizona to, to everyone in Sweden. Um, but so Boston <laughs> Market tweeted, customer, can I get something like Boston Market mac and cheese, but mediocre? Other guys, my pleasure. <laughs> Another subtle roast at Chick-fil-A. So Chick-fil-A be- ended up becoming the butt of all of these jokes. Basically, yeah. that's all that happened. Um, so then, of all people, Smash Mouth gets involved. Yes, the band Smash, Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth is always getting involved. Uh, quote tweets. <laughs> so they retweet they they retweeted the boston market tweet and said boston market is so 2008 to which boston market said is that better or worse than 1998 <laughs> so oh at this point like people are starting to take notice uh fucking brilliant. the mother of all roasters of course has to get involved uh which is wendy's uh, so then Wendy's tweeted, y'all out here fighting about which of these fools has the second best chicken sandwich with a picture of theirs right smack in the middle of it. It's subtle, but um, it's good. It's subtle. To which someone commented, actual factuals. To which Wendy's commented, it's contractual, dropping factuals, tweet with fire, but the chicken's actual. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, I Wendy's. Love America. Uh, I know. Uh, and then they got a <laughs> shout out. Someone said, Wendy's has the best social media manager, uh, to which Wendy said, just doing our thing. Uh, someone said, take this W, Wendy said, and add an E-N-D-Y-S. Uh, but then, of all people that swoop back into the conversation, Popeyes comes and steals the show again and says, sounds like someone just ate one of our biscuits because y'all looking thirsty. And tweeted, uh, retweeted the uh, Wendy's tweet that I had just read previously about the second best chicken sandwich. Um, <laughs> and then they said, at Wendy's, even Carter wants you to stop. The guy that did the nugs for Carter's also had tweeted at them, how many retweets to never tweet again? Uh, so it's <laughs> it's getting heated on social media between all of these uh, fast food giants. And it all started because of a chicken sandwich. So yes, this is the internet in 2019. This is this is brands in 2019, uh, and we get to watch it unfold. Apparently, Boston Market still exists, and they know how to roast on social media. Apparently, Popeyes has <laughs> a chicken sandwich, and they know how to fire. roast on social media. Yeah, they finally, <laughs> finally got warm enough to be able to. <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> Wendy's is now getting a run for its money. <laughs> oh my gosh! So what's the what's the what's what's the ad like? <laughs> what's the advertising like wisdom behind this like what, what do you think zach like we've got all these brands like um and we've talked about social media personalities for a while but shit man like i think it's kind of genius mm-hmm. how popeyes inadvertently like capitalized on this and got everyone to be talking about the chicken sandwich yes i i mean i've always been a very strong supporter of brands doing stuff like this on social media because if it does nothing else, it makes them human. It makes them like every other person on the planet. Uh, they're able to be roasted. They, they have a normal conversation, similarly to how regular people do. So it really does a lot to give them a personality and give them like a unique voice. Uh, the fact that it's fast food chains that have really capitalized on this and been able to utilize it better than anyone else uh, is hilarious to me. And I think it's the perfect spot for people to do it because... They're always releasing new products. Uh, it's just fast food. They don't have to take themselves too seriously. 
You know what I mean? And yeah. they're pretty much all the same when it comes down to it. And so well, uh, they need disagree. to differentiate in some way. So why not have fun? <laughs> Wendy's would disagree. Shout out Wendy's if they end up calling us out for uh, calling them the same. I'm, I'm sorry, Wendy's. I do. I do love you. <laughs> but okay, I can die happy if I'm roasted by Wendy's. But I it, it, it would be really interesting for me to see if they actually see their numbers increase from this. I'm sure they do in some way. Like I said, I went and bought the Popeye sandwich today so uh, you, you know like it's doing yeah. something granted i'm reading articles on this and and i think it's hilarious and i'm also a sucker for chicken sandwiches so i was gonna go buy one and try it regardless of if this had happened or not but to me it's just one of those things that gives you such an interesting perspective on a brand that isn't so contrived uh and so perfected and polished and allows you to really interact with them in a different way and so i I think this is one of the best ways that a brand can use social media, being reactive and and engaging in conversations similarly to how a regular user on Twitter would, uh, because it gives them so much yeah. more credibility. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. Like, I think it's, it's funny too. like Chick-fil-A, like posted and kind of started all of this, but it's kind of funny, too, because I feel like we don't think of Chick-fil-A having a personality other than good service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that like they kind of faded and it's like the Homer Simpsons gif <laughs> where he uh, he fades into the bush backwards like, oh, all right. <laughs> don't know what I started, but I'm going to. Yeah, well, that's gonna say they were literally like the butt. Like they were the start because they were the butt of all the jokes. Like they were, <laughs> Chick Fil A was needed to for Popeyes and Boston Market to like get involved in this <laughs> Twitter storm. You know, like you know what I mean. Like yeah, and poor, poor um, Chick Fil A because, like you said, they're that's not really their brand. Like yeah. They're they're known for saying my pleasure all the time. You know, they're known for exceptional customer service and being incredibly polite. Uh, they're not going to really get involved. Uh, this, the time that they do, I'm sure the Internet will go absolutely bonkers <laughs> if, if Chick-fil-A ever roasts someone and gets involved. But most likely they're not going to because that's not necessarily their brand. So it's it, it's so funny to see them be the ones that sort of initiated this. Uh without obviously trying to initiate this Twitter war, but that's basically what it's turned into is a chicken sandwich war. I believe the, uh, the article is even called, uh, yeah, the headline on the article is who is winning the great chicken sandwich Twitter war of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a, it's a thing now. So <laughs> this, this is turned into a cultural moment and it's, it's learn just about awesome. This in their, their social media textbooks in like 50 years. <laughs> Yes, Wendy's is going to have a whole chapter, I promise. Like, it's crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Like, do you know anything about like the ad push that they're doing behind the chicken sandwich? Like, are there any spots they're running with it? Or like, are they just doing like media dollars? Or do you know anything about that? Because admittedly, like, I saw a friend uh, put I a think... story about it on his Instagram and apparently he liked it. But outside of that, I kind of, kind of just forgot about it until uh, all this hubbub. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what the TV spot was, if there was one. Um, I definitely got served some sort of ad because I think that's how I first found out that they were releasing the chicken sandwich. It was either that or there was literally an article just on the fact that Popeye's was releasing a chicken sandwich. Um, But I don't know exactly what the specific creative behind it is. Unfortunately, I can try and look it up real quick while I'm stalling. I'm doing the same. Uh, But (laughs) to (laughs) Update. 
We watched it. Hi. It's pretty funny. There's an interesting TV spot for it. So it's, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's essentially, it's called The Therapist. And it's it's the same lady they use for their, their Popeye uh, marketing typically. And she's lying on a couch in a, like a therapy session. And she's like, I did it. I finally broke through. I made the chicken sandwich. It wasn't easy, but I found a bread as good as my chicken. And it's, the therapist is like eating it. And he's just like, oh, this is, I think we've made a ton of progress. This is so good. And then he just walks out and like finishes eating it. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> I think a lot of, I think Chick-fil-A in particular and uh, KFC are going to need a little bit of that kind of therapy too after the t- losing the Twitter war so uh, so badly. but <laughs> They might. They might. But yeah, their whole... I think the thing that really got this whole thing started is that they made that bold claim that this was yeah, their yeah. biggest product launch in 30 years. Which it, that's like, like a really that bold big of a claim. claim. You know what like, I mean? Like, I, I mean, I guess if Raising Cane's had a chicken sandwich like that, I'd freak I out. But or do they already? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They they do. They have the chicken strip sandwich, yeah, yeah. but I've never tried it. I don't think it's that popular. Maybe it is. I guess I don't know. But like. For a fast food place that's like constantly, generally fast food places are constantly coming up with new menu items, featuring new menu items uh, and pushing new stuff out there. So to call something the biggest drop or the biggest product release in 30 years is is kind of a big yeah. deal, I'd say, for a fast food chain, uh, especially if it's one that's like so simple, yeah, right. you know, like it's not like this is a revolutionary like thing, bad. like everyone has a chicken sandwich. <laughs> and so if they're saying that this is the most important thing that they've done in a long time they're inferring that it's really damn good. And so like, I think that's sort of what got all of this rolling was like, that's why Chick-fil-A got involved. Cause I Chick-fil-A, oh, I think is for sure the market now. leader when it comes to the chicken sandwich. Uh, and that's why, you know, Wendy's got involved because after Popeye started rattling <laughs> off insults, how could Wendy's resist? Like, <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's just crazy that all of yeah. these things built up to this, you know, like, a lot of stuff needed to be said and, and, and happen in order for this to, to escalate to where it's at now. And it's, it's crazy that it's here. Yeah. It'll the, be the, the piece. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the one thing, one final thought that just popped in my head. I wonder if they know like the brands like are, I don't want to say in on it. Cause I know they can't really be like in on it together. I don't even know if that's legal. But I, I bet they know that once they start generating like all of this um, awareness for even if it's Popeye's product, but all of this awareness on Twitter for all of them, I'm sure every single one of them sees some sort of lift in sales. And so I wonder if they just keep trying to do whatever they can to keep it going. And that's why you're, we're starting to see like more brands join these conversations and more uh, fast food giants start to get involved in some of this stuff because they're they're trying to jump on that bandwagon and and when they all sort of work together to create this great twitter war uh it benefits all parties which would be interesting that is interesting i was thinking about that too because honestly if anything i'm more than ever interested in trying out boston markets mac and cheese just to see if it's that good <laughs> exactly like that's what i'm saying but um, boston market of all people yeah. like they don't make tide raises all boats yeah and that's why i'm like why would someone like that get involved in this conversation like i don't know you know like and who knows if those yeah. two things were even connected because boston market just roasted chick-fil-a's mac and cheese so I don't know if that was even originally yeah. part of this chicken sandwich war, and they it just so happened that it lined up 
Could you imagine? Boston Market social team spends like a year planning this one tweet about Chick-fil-A's mac and cheese. And then the day they have it scheduled to go live, all this is happening. <laughs> and they get roped into this battlefield. They're they're fighting with Wendy's and Popeye's and everyone just because they started to tweet something about Chick-fil-A. Oh, man, that would be amazing. <laughs> so you show up to the park to play a picket game of basketball and you realize you're playing like bunch of college athletes or something <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's awesome <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see what goes we'll probably provide a breakdown of our uh, favorite tweets or our favorite uh favorite responses on uh, on our instagram here probably in the next week or so <laughs> just keep an eye out for that um <laughs> yeah um the other thing is i i mentioned this briefly last week with cole but um oh yeah cole's not here today Cole is busy oh, killing yeah. it at work right now. Um, usually we record after work. I think we're working on moving to the weekend, so it's a little bit easier. But it's uh, right now Cole's Cole's busy working at work, kicking ass. Um, and yeah, Zach work. and I are just hanging out here, having fun. Um, although we are sweating. It's very hot here again. Arizona is very warm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I was going to do a shameless transition, but you know, I think that this company deserves more than a shameless transition. Um, I had mentioned it previously before, but Barton F graph, uh, had to announce recently that it's closing its doors at the end of the year. And we haven't talked about it yet. Um, I know Zach and I have both been a little bit, not despondent, but pretty, pretty upset about it. Um, and I think, you know, Zach, let's talk about it. Um, I'm curious, do you want to fill in some people on what's been going on and share your thoughts and I just, you know, kind of want to hear what you're thinking. I have a couple of thoughts sure. I'd like to share with everyone as well. Um, so yeah, Barton F. Graff, uh, which is an agency that was founded by Jerry Graff, who's a very decorated and successful creative. And probably announced my favorite that, creative around yes, right now. And, and one of everyone's creatives um, announced that uh, they were shutting their doors at the end of this year. Out of respect for their clients, they're staying open to, you know, tie up all the loose ends and finish all the campaigns. But come end of the year, Barton F. Graff will be no longer. Uh, and it really... I think it impacted the industry a lot harder than than most other agencies yeah. would have for for a few reasons. Uh, like Trent had said, and, and I also echoed, uh, Jerry is a he's a unique and very, very prolific creative in the industry. Um, he's had one hell of a career and he's always fought for creativity in in uh in his ideas and the work that barton f graph has created has always been very top-notch they're not very big uh you know they don't have a ton of capital they're not winning every single award but the few things that they come out with have been incredibly strong campaigns uh for brands like little caesars kayak.com uh, a few others that i'm spacing on right now and all of them have been praised throughout the industry as some of the uh, funniest and riest humorous ads that we've yeah. seen. Even like Supercell, um, who does like Clash of Clans. Yes, know. that was the other big one. Was was yeah, and Emerald Nuts Clash of Clans, too, which I think Zach and I talked yes, about. Yes, good. Yeah, yes, good. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that in like one of the first episodes. Uh, just iconic campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the reason that this was such a heavy loss, I think, for the industry was that they were really a beacon, I'd say, of hope uh, for creativity in the industry. They 
never, ever believed in succumbing to client demands when it came to their ideas. I'm sure they had to at some point, uh, but they fought and they were always fighting for their ideas. They were always fighting for their sort of unique brand of humor. And, and a lot of people spoke to the fact that they were one of the last agencies that sort of had a unique brand. Uh, back in the day, you knew that different shops were the go-to shop for different types of ads. You had the funny shop. If you you wanted to make a really powerful ad, you might go to a different one, so on and so forth. You know, whatever sort of mood or vibe you were feeling, there was kind of an agency that sort of had a brand and was known yeah. more for that than everything else. doesn't mean they couldn't do other things, but they were, they were known for that. Uh, nowadays we've gotten to the point where pretty much everyone says they do everything so uh, and no one really random. has that. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And no one really has that distinct voice that they used to. Uh, Barton F. Graff was one of the few agencies that still had that distinct voice. Yeah. And to hear that they're closing was, was, you know, it hit close to home for a lot of people who, who believed in what they did, uh, who supported what they did and, and saw Jerry Graff as this sort of, maverick who didn't succumb to changes in in the industry and 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 really had his shop uh made sure that his shop was led by creative and that the ideas that they were putting out were top-notch ideas in every single campaign uh unfaltering and and like not just led by creative i think that's what really started to hurt yeah right and not just led by creative but like taking strategy and proving beyond a reasonable like doubt that we've done the research and we know the business better than you do. And this is the smartest way to do this. Here's why. And here's why you need to be so out there. Like it, it's brilliant. And like for, for, for reference's sake, I mean, those of you may not have heard of Jerry Graff or Barton F. Graff, but most of you have probably heard of Droga five or even Goodby Silverstein and partners and both David Droga, Droga five and the founders of Goodby Silverstein both told Jerry that he needed to open his own agency. <laughs> so it kind of shows, I think, the level of respect that some of the industry's best have had for him, too. Um, mm-hmm. And so you brought up a good point, Zach. Like, why, like, <laughs> advertising was supposed to be that cool industry. And I feel like now a lot of people are just stressed out all the time and it has lost its shine. And I don't remember if we talked mm-hmm. about it on the show or not previously, but there's an article in Adage that was an op-ed that essentially talked about that. Like, we need to make advertising, like, find its groove again, be, you know, find its cool nature again. And I think when you have agencies that believe in something and do things their way and back up the right way to do it and try to go out of their way to do something that's unique, it pushes the industry forward. And I don't know why we think that the best way to do things is just to have a sea of sameness. If we talk about being creative companies in a creative industry, then why do we have four major holding companies that have agencies that all do relatively the same thing? You know, it just, it doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me. Um, And it's just, it's kind of, Mm -hmm. it's just a shame, you know, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let me, uh, they, they put the work before everything else, I think is the better thing of saying than the creative. That's, that's what I was yeah. getting at is that the the work that they created was was what they believed in. It, it wasn't about the politics. It wasn't about this or that. They believed that creating the best idea, the most effective, strongest idea for their clients was the way to conduct their business. And they always tried to do that. Um, I've got this article pulled up, which was a perspective from one of the creative directors that worked there. 
and I'm going to read you this little excerpt because I think it does a good job of sort of enveloping what we're talking about. Uh, but this uh, it starts with back in May with the agency's future on the line in the final round of a new business pitch that could possibly have saved the agency. One of our Hail, Ma- one of our Hail Mary scripts featured Benicio del Toro lying naked with 3,462 pins on his back. In another, he was dressed as a cactus making beep sounds with his mouth. Were the scripts safe? No. Were they funny? We think so. Did they say everything the client wanted to say in the first 10 seconds and then again on the end card? Hell yes. It was the sort of work that Barton F. Graff was built on, and that's that has made so many of our clients famous. We lost the pitch. And it's it's just one of those things where even knowing that they were you know, going down, the, the news had broke at this point, at least internally, that, that this was going to happen, and they never gave up. They didn't try and play it safe to win that last client. They didn't try and uh, appeal to whoever was going to be in the room that day in order to win the business and keep the doors open. They continued to fight for what they thought was going to be the best idea for the brand, regardless of whatever. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So the the person writing the, the article about those, Avinash uh, Baliga, um, creative director over at Barton F. Graf, and he kind of goes on to say that he thinks one of the reasons that the agency has been closing is potentially because um, like work doesn't matter as much anymore. Um, Like, and I'm just curious what you think Mm -hmm. about that, Zach, especially from a creative's perspective too. Um, Sometimes in advertising, it does feel like the best idea doesn't always win, or it feels like a brand may say they want something different and then they take the safe thing they've always been doing because even though it's not working, it's at least familiar. Um, and I'm curious, like, what do you think about that? Like, what what is the place of creativity in advertising and in the business world at this point? Because um, we could talk all day about how, um, you know, it's difficult to be a project-based work agency versus having a retainer that you get every month to do services for a client and all those things. But ultimately, like, if people don't want that level of creativity or if brands aren't willing to take risks, what do you think... Um, agencies can do about it and what is that place for it? Um, I think people are still trying to figure it out. Uh, I think it's 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 a conversation that's come back to light as we've started to see a lot of things change because budgets have gotten tighter uh, and because data has started to be more prominent in, in you know, tracking and, and tracing the effectiveness of ads. Creatives and agencies in general have really had to work hard to find ideas that, you know, walk the line between being as effective as they can be, but also being quirky enough or out there enough or bold enough to garner attention. Um, And that's really hard to do. Uh, I feel like throughout history, it's swung back and forth where, you know, at times we've seen a lot more of those ideas that are just really out there and very bold. And then in other times we've seen a lot of those, those ideas that are really safe. Uh, and the industry in both of those instances yeah. has allowed for that to happen. I think where we're at now and where the industry's at now is it's it's cutting away a lot of that wiggle room. And so it's getting increasingly difficult for people to hit that sweet spot. But at the same time, agencies are expected to consistently hit that sweet spot. And I feel like it's 
that, that's very difficult. Regardless of what agency you are, if you're the best in the world, you're still not going to hit it all the time. Uh, it's, that's why, you know, not everyone's going to laugh at your jokes when you're a comedian or whatnot. You know what I mean? There's, there's no way to please everyone because we have different tastes. Uh, and so it's, it's very difficult to make sure that you get that sweet spot to resonate perfectly every time. And I think that's sort of, that's what we're working towards. But I think that's also the reason that these things are are beginning to happen. Yeah. I think there's an interesting point to be made too about how the size of a company impacts, I think the level of risk they're willing to take too. Um, mm-hmm. which it, it, there's not a direct correlation, mind you. I mean, look at Nike, huge market leader. <laughs> um, and yeah. they still do bullshit every day, but like, I think there will always be some brands, especially legacy brands that the goal of their advertising agency is really to push sales goals and to not lose the company money. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. but the, the thing that, and that's fine. Like, you can make a good living at those. Some people prefer that over other agencies. At the end of the day, it's still great work, even if it's not like a, as creative as other stuff. It's still in its own way. It's effective and it does jobs for the client, which at the end of the day is like mm-hmm. advertiser's job. But I think there's a difference there. And like often those are with really big agencies that have the staffing and the resources to do that at that scale. But oftentimes when you have a smaller indie agency like a Barton F. Graff, which at its end was around 30 people or less, they're not having the resources to take on that big of a client anyway. So a lot of the brands they're working with are more challenger brands. And at that point, like mm-hmm. how do you make a challenger brand break through in a, in a crowded space? You have to be more out there. Um, but especially if it's a smaller <laughs> brand, they don't have as much money, like you said, and it makes it a difficult process. So it almost feels like in a way there is growing a entry barrier for new agencies where it's like, it makes it harder and harder to break through because you have to, it really comes down to how can you sell in the work and can you build a good relationship with the the client that allows a, a trust to be formed there. Um, and it's an extremely you know difficult mm-hmm. thing to do, but it's interesting to watch kind of unfold. Yeah. And, and all of this is, is happening as the industry is, is kind of at a, I'd say like a focal point or at least a, a, point where it's, it's pivoting and yeah, it's this history. almost feels like that point um, more so than any of the other stuff, at least, you for know, me. yeah, no, for me too, because well, right now the entire model is being challenged. Yeah. Like all of those previous times when I was referencing, it has always been agency of record that the agency of record model has been the model of choice. That's been what the majority of agencies. Have yeah. Used. And for clarity too, really now, quick, and, I think, and, um, we, we listened to the creative director from Barton F. Graf, Jerry, when he was interviewed and talking, said essentially something to the effect of a lot of their big clients were on agency of record contracts where they would pay a retainer to BFG each month for services and goods. And that way, BFG had a stable income each month, so they knew how to staff and all that. And then pretty much all of their clients in the same short period switched to project-based work. And the agency struggled to adapt to that model and wasn't able to have a consistent steady flow of income to know how to handle it, Um, which plays a major Mm fact too. But what were you saying, Zach? That's actually what I was getting at. Um, (laughs) Oh, reading each other's minds. The heat has melted our brains and merged them together. (laughs) That was perfect because I was going to, I was going to give that as background. But the point that I was building to was due to that fact, I think, as you said, it's very tough for those smaller agencies to compete. 
uh, without the resources, because when you switch to that project based model, those resources and that money gets even smaller. Um, yeah. From the ashes, though, we have an opportunity now. Uh, these new smaller agencies have an opportunity now to embrace the new model. If project based is where we're going, uh, they have an opportunity to build their financial plan and their their agency DNA with that expectation in mind. And in doing so, I'm hopeful that they can find a way to survive. It's going to be a big change. Uh, it's very difficult for agencies that are set in their ways or that have already established their business model based off of that, that dated practice to change and adapt to it. But I'm thinking that the agencies that we begin to see moving forward who have grown up in this this altered environment who are prepared to work on a project by project basis will find a way to make it work and will be able to get to that level that they need to get at. So I'm hopeful. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the end of advertising or anything like that. It's really sad to see an agency like Barton F. Grafco. And, and I believe in that article that you had referenced to about Jerry, uh, yeah. he sort of spoke to the fact that he's, He's not done. Like he's not giving up. Uh, he he recognized that it it just wasn't working anymore with, you know, the model that they had created. But he's he's testing out new things and 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 should he bounce back with a new project, a new agency, a new solution to to what the market is sort of offering at this point? I'm really excited to see what that is because I definitely think it's possible. We just have to switch our mindset away from thinking how we've thought in the past and, and kind of develop a, a, a new model completely. Yeah. It's interesting. I think there's two agencies I want to call out that to your point have been interesting players in that space. I think first one that comes to mind is um, uh, the many, the uh, like the M-A-N-Y um, previously known as Mistress, which was amazing branding because essentially they propped up as a, project-based agency meant to service big brands who had agencies of record and had bigger clients, but the agencies didn't have the bandwidth to take on projects. So mistress would be the brand's mistress and do small projects for them on the side. Um, and they've done a really good job at this project-based work. Um, and even even uh, Work & Co. Um, as well, which was number six on Ad Ages's, uh, oof, Ad Ages 2019 <laughs> uh, A-list. <laughs> Just kind of blurred together there. Um, you know, Work & Co. has an interesting thing where they start all of their work as a project based, which gives the agency a little bit of an interesting level of power too. like, hey, we'll work with you, but we want to do a project with you first so we can get an idea of if we actually mesh as business partners. Um, and then they eventually their goal is to try and transition projects into a longer term agreement. Um, so they're both interesting ways to go about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's curious to see. I mean, Zach, I think you probably get this just as much as I do. Um, interning in Phoenix for two of my four internships that I had um, before I got my full-time job. Um, and Zach, you probably had this too. A lot of work in Phoenix is project-based just because there's not a lot of bigger brands here that have the type of money to do contracts other than the government entities. Mm -hmm. Um and it, I'm, it, you know, it sucks. It's it's a lot of work, and sometimes you can have like a really toxic relationship with the client because there's there's a disagreement over like, hey, we budgeted for these many hours for the projects and you're asking us to do more revisions than we budgeted for. We would need more money from you to keep changing it. And the client's like, well, it's not up to my standards. You need to make it better. And it's like, yeah, it, it leads to this really tough rub. 
And I, you know, I don't have the answers. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know something that, mm-hmm. you know, because I haven't seen it all yet. But um, to your point too, Zach, like it, we both know it'll, it needs some fine tuning. And it's interesting to watch some of the ones that are doing well. Like small agencies are in a weird place right now. Like even David Miami, which we love, is a small agency, but it's backed through Ogilvy. Like that's mm-hmm. the reason it's called David. It's named after David Ogilvy. David Ogilvy. So they have a ton of support too. It's it's interesting to see. I don't know. These indie shops are in a little bit of a tough spot, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's a it's a tough time. And and to your point of uh, about like Working Co. and and some of the other agencies that are doing some interesting things. It's funny to see some of the ways that they're also differentiating themselves. Uh, there have been a few yeah. agencies who, as we always talk about uh, being in this industry and, and the importance of having a side hustle, uh, agencies themselves have started to pick up side hustles, uh, which I find like so funny. Some of them, you know, a lot of them are, are getting into like the consulting yeah. space as another revenue stream. Some, some of them are creating sister companies that are like, I just saw one the other day. Uh, I forget what it's called. I'll have to, I'll have to find it. Um, but they created like a venture capital firm, like an incubator for startups that they were investing mm-hmm. in on the side. And it was, it made perfect sense for their brand because they were already doing it for uh, employees internally. If employees had good ideas for new brands, they would bring the the brands to the agency's attention and they'd do their best to try and launch it if they thought it had value. Um, and there was this, another agency called Gin Lane, which was, um, is no longer an agency. Actually, they completely transitioned. Um, they had launched a bunch of direct to consumer brands. They were behind like Hims and Harry's, uh, mm-hmm. and a couple other really big direct to consumer brands that have gotten very, very popular. And, and they did a lot of the marketing work for them. Uh, they just rebranded themselves as a direct to consumer brand parent company. And now they're going to start launching their own brands. So it's, it's, weird to see what's happening right now because a lot of the solutions are let's do something that's not advertising anymore or let's add something on that's different from advertising because people are struggling so much to figure out how to figure out the advertising part of it um and i it's it's really interesting to me because you see those things happening and in clearly they're they're as a result of the strain that they're facing in the industry and the fact that they're slowly getting pushed out and that they're, they're coming up with ways to innovate in order to stay alive. And I love that. And I love seeing all of the different ways that these agencies are differentiating themselves. But at the same time, it's sad to see that a lot of those ways are not advertising. There, there are other <laughs> yeah, sorts it's of side like projects. When you're trying to be an actor uh, and you have it, to be a waitress <laughs> on weeknights, you know what I mean? On weekends to, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I think, I don't know if you were talking about Group M, Zach, but I know back in April, they announced an incubator to to work with like upcoming ad tech startups to try and like merge those two together. It may have been something else, but I forget they were, there was something else because they were, they were really, they were mm-hmm. a smaller shop in like North Carolina yeah. or something. I forget exactly. For Let me sure. see if I can well, find Well, you're it. looking for that. It is interesting. Like side hustles have always been big in advertising. Um, it just, I think it comes down to a matter of like creativity as a product is a really hard product because it's something mostly intangible and it's subjective. And the way you perceive it may be differently than how a client perceives it, which really 
brings in the need for really strong communicators in the advertising space from the account person to the strategist to the creative to everyone else in the room to be able to communicate the idea as best as possible so that that intangible subjective product can become understood and realized to its fullest extent by the client and approved and signed off on quickly. Um, it's almost like, you know, you, you almost need to essentially charge and productize your collective knowledge and expertise over the output, like, which is why I think it's so interesting to see consulting agencies that are now getting into creative because it's almost makes more sense for like an Accenture that is just viewed as this big beast of a company that knows all these things and are super smart people and helps turn around businesses. And by the way, we can now do advertising for you too. It sucks. I think it's stupid that it's integrated the way it has with buying out different agencies. But there is something there to the, the, the point of being viewed as a thought leader and being paid for your expertise and your understanding. And I think advertisers don't necessarily need to position themselves more uh, with products as much as that helps. But I think also there needs to be more of a willingness by advertisers to accept uh, themselves as members of a business community, not just a creative community. Because I think there's a little bit of a divide there where a lot of the people who go into advertising do it because they don't want to be in business. But really the only way you're going to get the trust of uh, some of these business partners is if you can speak their language and understand their business top to bottom and be a partner that's giving them advice even just outside of the creative you're, you're pushing for them. Um, that's interesting. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. again, like you mentioned, Zach, the whole industry is kind of in a place of needing to evolve. And it's a great time to be in the industry because you get to watch it change and you get to influence that change. Um, but it is hard too when you see yeah, exactly. your favorite agency um, or one of your favorite agencies just bite the dust. Um, you know, it's interesting. If you want to learn more about Jerry Graff, I encourage you to check out the podcast. It's only fucking advertising, uh, with Aaron Starkman. Um, he is a brilliant creative and he interviews awesome, awesome advertising legends on his podcast. And he has a great one with Jerry Graff that I recommend all of you check out. Um, cause it, it gives a good perspective to learn about the man. We'll also probably try and put together some content. That's our top five Jerry Graff moments or something on our Instagram too. So you can just get an idea. How <laughs> I was going to say, guy is. He's, what's your favorite one, Zach? Just off the top of your head. He's got some awesome. Uh, I think my favorite is still the, the Christmas apology video <laughs> where he, uh, he went around with the cakes that, that they baked and brought them to everyone that he had made fun of or offended in advertising. Uh, which he had a list of pretty much everyone in advertising <laughs> as as so part funny. of the list of people that he had offended. And he personally like walked out or walked to these agencies and like delivered cakes to the owners or to executives and stuff like that. And the video behind it is hilarious. We can put the link in the description if we can, yeah, we can find we a can good one to it. Way. But uh, that was definitely my favorite. Um, what about you? Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, that one's iconic. I think to try and not use the same one when he made fun of barbarian's desk the continuous floor great (laughs) yeah so the agency barbarian which is a great ad agency we don't say it to mock them we just say it because it's (laughs) you know it's fun to laugh at yourself and it's good to call out but they they remodeled their office and they had this giant continuous like desk that was almost like you think like you're in a cave tunnel and like there's all these different like places to work in it throughout the agency and they made this video promoting it and jerry 
shows up at his office and with the camera and is like starts filming his parody version of it where he's like imitating it like point like frame by frame and it's talking about how they remodeled their office to have one continuous floor <laughs> and that that was pretty fucking funny <laughs> and yeah it really is like oh a frame by frame like he like quotes like the same people that like they had quoted as like helped build it and it's it's great the jokes in it are, are <laughs> awesome like and then he like goes on to talk about like like uncontinuous desks so that each person can have like privacy. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Like he, that was him. Like that was Jerry is, is he was unabashedly himself and he, he was not afraid to pick on whoever he felt like. Uh, and, and his presence was known for that reason. Uh, whenever he was in the room, uh, and by almost every agency, very well respected, uh, and also got away with making fun of a lot of people who were, just as successful, if not I think more because successful. Because he has done it so right for so wrong, and like he, people know he's such a good guy, mm-hmm. is it's, it's so funny. It is funny. Uh, um, so yeah, we we salute you, Jerry. We do. We salute you. We do. What were we gonna say? Zach? I, I found that agency. It's the variable. Uh, so it's a, it's a small oh, agency. Cool, it was man. winner of at age's small agency of the year. I don't know which year, uh, uh, but um, the agency is called the variable, and then they also their sister company is called One Hundred Watt, which is the uh, the incubator. So that's what I was thinking of, but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it, it's, it's cool to see these, these agencies start to do stuff like this. Um, yeah. one other piece of the article that I, I wanted to discuss very quickly before we left, because I think it's, it's a nice thing to leave on, uh, back to yeah. the creative director from Barton F. Graff, who was discussing if work was, uh, the driving force of the only thing to care about anymore. And I think Trent, you did a good job of, of touching on the fact that we are business people too. And I think that's a perfect answer to this question that it can't just be about the work uh, as much as we want it to be. And as much as we strive for that to be true, we are still in business and business is a lot about relationships and a lot about partnerships and a lot about making smart decisions and, you know, working with the right people to, to stay afloat. And I think we do have to recognize that as an industry. Um, but what I was going to yeah. to touch on was the line in the last paragraph where it says, maybe we shouldn't be judging an agency's success by its survival, but by the, or, but by the permanence of its ideas, uh, which mm. to me is, yeah. is just a really interesting and powerful thought. Uh, the reason that he brought that up is because a lot of the ideas that, uh, Barton F. Graff came up with are, are things you could quote are, are, are recognizable are ideas that people are still talking about now. Uh, even though the agency has failed, um, failed, I put in quotes, you can't see them, but they're there for, I think this is like the third time I've done that. Um, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's an interesting thought because there's so much power in the permanence of its ideas. And, and if we could judge agencies based off of that, as opposed to whether or not they survive, uh, I think it begins to show you a lot of the great work that's been created regardless of the business and regardless of the politics and regardless of unfortunate circumstances that happen along the way. Uh, take all that out of the equation and look at the pieces and the ones that we're still talking about now are, are those ones that have permanence and that have been able to uh, stay top of mind years later. Yeah. And like, if you think about it too, like the Clash of Clowns videos they do, still get millions of views. You know, Little Caesars is still one of the top mm-hmm. pizza companies in the country. It's not like they haven't done great work and like 
Like the work they've done has continued to last. With yeah, it. exactly. It's an interesting point to make. Exactly. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it is really interesting. And that's something for all of us to chew on. I think as we get ready to go into the industry or, you know, start making an impact in it is, um, you know, how can you leave an impact? I think bringing your best self to work each day and trying your best to help uh, the companies you're working on. I think if you can show that through and you can make an impact, even if the company doesn't last, even if you move on, you can still always hang your hat on knowing that you helped and made an impact at that point in time. And I have no doubt that Jerry will be back. I hope it's not at a holding company. I know he doesn't have anything against them, but <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. Yeah. All right, Zach. Do you want to, uh, I know we turn, you know, it's, it's very hot out. I think, uh, how do we, how about we turn in, get some water in our systems, cool off and, uh, get back into it again next week. How's that sound? Ah, that sounds great. I'm going to take over for Cole, everybody have an ad-tastic <laughs> week. Talk soon again, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>